If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 18 this morning. Acts chapter 18. I want to read two verses of Scripture. My introduction may be longer than the message. but Paul is coming to Corinth. Something takes place. In Acts chapter 18 and verse 9 and 10. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by vision. Be not afraid, but speak. Hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. Now the phrase there, I have much people in this city in the original language basically means this that there are those people in this city, being Corinth, that have not resisted the Holy Spirit, and they're waiting on you to present the gospel. We live in a culture today that's totally different from anything that I could have imagined when I began pastoring in 1972. I was reading recently in Luke chapter 17 where Jesus was talking about before the coming of the Son of Man, it will be as it was in the days of Noah. A few verses later, he said, in the days of Lot. In the days of Noah, it was a time in which there was a lot of demonic possession. There was a lot of uh, demon activity going on. You had a lot of things happening. When you get to Lot's day, you've got sexual perversion. When you think about the culture that we live today, it is a totally different world than many of us understood or knew or even expected when we began pastoring. It is a world in which, if you stop and just think about it for a few moments, pastors used to be, for instance, just thinking about it from this perspective, held in high esteem within the community. They used to have a place of prominence in the community. That doesn't exist often anymore. The pastor used to be held in high esteem within his own church. Honestly, I was told when I began pastoring by a preacher that if I were to name him, some of you would know. But he, he told me then, he said, you're going to pastor in a time when churches will stop respecting the pastor because I've seen it begin. And I'm finishing up. And I've got to pastor when churches and communities respected pastors. Now, part of that's our fault. But nonetheless, it's happened. You also have the leadership change. Leadership skills are required perhaps more today than ever. It used to be that if you could halfway preach and you would love the people, you were held in such high esteem in the church community and in the church that they would overlook the rest. You also need to have better relational skills when it comes to leadership. The same thing. If you could halfway preach and would take care of the people and love them, you were held in such high esteem that if you had personality quirks, people would overlook it. Not anymore. And so that leads to a lot of discouragement. Outreach is no longer done by just a big events. You've got to have relational, a relationship. You've got to get out and cultivate that. You used to didn't have to do as much of it as you do today. You also live in a time today in which it is no longer culturally accepted or you don't worry about it culturally 
if you're part of a church. In the early days as a pastor, most everybody in the community and everybody in the town, they would want to be part of a church, at least their membership. Now, that may be all, but they would want to be. Today, you have what's called the nuns, and it's not culturally advantageous to them. I'll never forget moving to a small town in the mid-80s, and it was an election year. Somebody came along, they wanted to join the church. And the more I talked to them, the more I found out, I'm not sure I want them to join the church. And when I found out the only reason they were wanting to join the church was not because they wanted to serve Christ, it was because they thought they'd get more votes. No, they didn't join. You see, today that's, that's not an issue. The Internet. What in the world was the Internet when I began pastoring? I didn't have a clue. Somebody had come out with a sermon about these big computers they had in mountains somewhere or took up streets in Belgium. But, you know, as far as Internet, by 2005, at least 5% of the people pretty much use social media. Today it's 70-plus percent. And that social media can be good or be bad. We live in a culture today where Jesus is often mocked and ridiculed. We live in a culture today where Christians are mocked and Christians are ridiculed. And Christians are no longer looked at with the same respect as they have been in the past. The pressure and the challenges that come with that, and that's the kind of pressure and challenges that you're going to have to deal with. But it's not just you as a pastor or staff member that deals with it. You're going to pastor people that deal with these same kind of pressures. They may be different, yes, but you're pastoring folks today as they become part of the church. Churches are changing, and they want to know what happens after salvation, and they want to know how I become a follower and a disciple of Christ. They want more than just saying a prayer and being baptized and going into whatever it is you send them into in the church. They want to get involved. They want to understand how. Yet they live in a society today where our faith is diluted. Biblical illiteracy is out there. But they don't want that. They want to know Jesus in a greater way perhaps than many of those that we've pastored in the past. They want to know how to engage the culture and not be closed to it and not be mean-spirited about it. Stand for something, yes, but understand how can I go into the culture and confront the issues that are there today and deal with it with a loving, compassionate heart. We aren't doing a very good job at sharing that. You think about the challenges our young people face today. They want to learn and they want to see how to personalize living out their faith. But they haven't seen much of it. And this is something that they're taught by actions in many cases. They live in an anti-Christian culture. They go into our school systems that predominantly is anti-Christian. They hear all the news media, whether it's distorted or not distorted, they hear the anti-Christian culture in it. They're seeking to have an identity and they have self-image problems. They're trying to figure out how do I stay sexually pure with the pressures of this culture and how do I overcome the negative bias of Christianity and the media and how in the world am I going to learn how to be a dad if my father's absent? And in this day and time, many times it's the moms that are absent as well. That's the culture we live in. 
That's the culture, whether we like it or not, that you are going to have to pastor people in, reach people in. And you might be like Elijah. You will appear on the scene like a flash in the pan for a while, call fire down from heaven, do battle with the prophets of Baal, and then take off and sit down and want to die. <coughs> or maybe you'll be like Jeremiah. He cared. Wonderful prophet. Compassionate heart. But in reality, it got so bad, all he wanted to do was get him a little place on the side of the road and take care of people traveling. And so the temptation is going to be, get me a job and get out of this. It's too soon. You can't quit. You can't stop. There'll be days you want to. There'll be days you'll think about it, but you can't. And when you get to the Apostle Paul, you begin reading about him. And Paul was given a lot of opportunity. But he suffered a lot for it. And we get a little bit of an insight into his life in 1 Corinthians. And, and the phrase that stands out to me is, in fear, in weakness, in trembling. Paul was afraid. Paul was going through discouragement. Paul was going through despair. Paul was going through a time in which he was down. Why in the world would the great Apostle Paul be suffering through all of this? <coughs> Excuse me, folks. I'm struggling with what a lot of folks are these days. If you go back and look in the third verse of this chapter, you'll find one of the reasons he's tired. He's making tents during the day. In the fifth verse, you'll find where it talks about he's pressed in spirit, which means that fatigue has set in and he's worn out. And when fatigue sets in and you get pressed in the spirit and you don't have the energy that you need it's easy to get discouraged or maybe you've attempted something and you've fallen flat on your face and all the criticisms coming in and you're letting that build upon you well Paul had also experienced failure Paul had been in Athens and he had had some success there but they called him a bird brain or a babbler over in Athens. And he had walked approximately 50 miles from Athens to Corinth. Now, he didn't have a car to ride in. He didn't have an animal to ride on. As far as we know, he walked. Can you imagine being called a bird brain, a babbler, and then having to walk 50 miles and think about it? Especially when your intellectual ability is at the top of most people. Somebody has suggested that what hurt Paul more than anything else was the way that his intellect was attacked more so than the rods of the Romans or the stripes that the Jewish people would put on him or the jail cells that he might spend the night in. You see, the devil knows where to hit us at. That will affect us more than anything else. And when you're going through those struggles and you're having those attacks and if you serve God, those attacks will come, then the devil knows exactly the kind of attack and the kind of way to get you to fail and to get you to fall flat on your face and to get you to feel discouraged and, and worn out and just wondering, what's the use? These folks don't care. But you're not doing it for these folks. That's not who called you. If it is, get out of it now. If God's called you, God's put you in it and while the road you travel may change, and nobody can tell you which road that is, 
You may go somewhere and spend your entire life. You may go somewhere and stay for a while and you may move and you may change locations and you may change emphasis of ministry, but you make that decision under God. Don't let people make that decision and don't ever quit on Him and realize that if He's called you, He didn't uncall you. And He's got somewhere and something for you to do. And then all of a sudden, you may be like Paul as he gets into Corinth. He's frustrated. Why would he be frustrated? He got out of Athens. He walks into this city. And he's a preacher of the gospel. And he looks around. There's prostitutes. There's idolatry. Everywhere he goes, there's sin. Someone put it this way. They worship the almighty dollar, drink deep from the fountain of pleasure, wallow in the muck and the mire, living only for the temporal. And here comes Paul with the gospel. You want to talk about a society and a culture that you and I live in today? It is a group that lives only for the almighty dollar. And there is still many of that generation out there. And then there's a group that's not so concerned about that. And they're not trying to do anything toward having anything. And then you've got the group that just wants enough to live on. <coughs> we have a gentleman that lives near us. He's divorced. He's trying to straighten his life up. He lives in a tiny house. Any of you ever seen those tiny houses? He's bigger than I am. He's a pretty good-sized fellow to live in that tiny house. But he said, it's all I need. He said, I just want to do whatever God wants me to do. And he's as happy as he can be. He is content there. We live in a society today where people worship idolatry. They have their idols. It may be sports. It may be jobs. It may even be their family. But there's idolatry. There's sexual perversion, just like Paul saw when he got here. And maybe you won't go through the same kind of frustration, and maybe you won't have the same kind of scars Intellectually, I've never had to worry about anybody attacking my intellect. I wouldn't be smart enough to know that's what they were doing. <laughs> you might be beaten on, but probably not. But let me tell you this. The scars you go through emotionally and spiritually are just as real to you and hurt just as much as anything the Apostle Paul faced because there again the devil knows exactly where to hit you at. So don't think that because you haven't had what Paul had or what some others had, that it's not real, that it doesn't matter. It does matter. And you need to realize that when Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, that is how you and I must get to a point that we're willing to live. And when Paul wrote in the book of Romans, when he said, that we're not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We must understand that we're in a culture that's putting so much garbage into the mind that about the only thing that can come out is more garbage. And so you and I are called by God to be in a situation where we can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to people like this and, and try to get them to understand there is a God in heaven that loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die. And yes, that is amazing to me. I know who I am, where I'm from. I know what I would be if it wasn't for Jesus. And it is just amazing to me that he loves me so much and cares so much. But you and I are called by God today to follow him and we don't have an option. 
And there's three things that Paul realized that God said to him through this vision. And the first one of those things is, I am with you. I'm with you. In other words, he's saying to him, I haven't forsaken you. I haven't walked away from you. And he's saying to you, I am with you. Whatever you're going through, he's with you. Matthew talks about it when it says that, talks about Jesus coming and he gives him a name, Emmanuel, God with us. In the cradle, he was God with us. On the cross, he was God for us. In our lives, he's God in us. And wherever you go, whatever valley you're going through, whatever mountaintop you're climbing, whatever difficulty you have, he is going to be right there with you. He'll be there when you get tired. He'll be there when you're frustrated. <coughs> He'll be there when you're angry. He'll be there when you're going through the fire. If he was with the Hebrew children in the midst of a fiery furnace, there's no fire that you're going to go through that he doesn't go into with you and will come out with you. And if that means heaven quicker, live in such a way that if you're going to live, it's Jesus they're going to see. And if they take you on to heaven, you'll just get there quicker. You can't stop. If he was with Moses on the backside of the desert, and we like to talk about that, but I'd rather think about he was with Moses in the wilderness too. You know, over there in Numbers of Deuteronomy where he said, these 40 years I led thee, about the time Joshua was taking over, before they go in, these 40 years, he didn't forsake them because they rebelled. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to walk away from you. Yes, we blow it. Yes, we fail. But while the children of Israel had rebelled and refused not to go in, he still provided food. He must have provided clothes. They had clothes. I don't know what he did. Kenneth Wright used to say if he could grow them in the, the cowhide, he could grow them on their feet with the shoes. So, you know, but he can do whatever he wants to, but he provided. He gave them food. He gave them water. He gave them protection. And you and I will never know this side of eternity how many times God has protected us or why. Maybe he protected us in the midst of our doing some very stupid, idiotic things in ministry and don't think you're going to go out there and not fall into that and do a few of those. But he said, I am with you. And if he can be with Abraham taking Isaac up on the mount to offer him as a sacrifice, and be there to provide himself a sacrifice. He's going to be with you every step of the way. Second thing he tells us there, he says, Paul, no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. Now, he didn't say they won't attack. Paul understood what it was to be stoned and left for dead. Paul understood what it was to be beaten. Paul understood being mocked. He understood that. But there's going to be some scars that you're going to get. One pastor I, pastorate I had, our youth ministry had grown from 70 to 5. Something had to be done. Yeah, I thought y'all would catch that after a while. So I worked out an idea I felt like God gave me. I sat down with my deacon leadership. I went over it with them. They liked the idea of trying it. And we were going to institute that, and I was going to help. So Monday I had the staff together. I presented it to the staff. I didn't bother to tell them that I'd presented it to the deacons already, and they liked the idea. 
and neither did I tell them I was writing an article for our weekly newsletter at the time, and it would come out on Wednesday and it. I gave it to the staff, and I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look over it. I went over it with them, and I want you to take it and go home tonight. We'll meet again in the morning. You tell me what you think will work and what won't work. We'll go from there. We can change some things. One of the staff members went and visited all 15 deacons that day trying to get me run off as he had the previous pastor. But they were in a bind. They had already voted in deacons meeting to support it. It came out on Wednesday in the newsletter. The deacons had voted to support the pastor and his leading staff into this. There's no way I was smart enough to figure all that out. I'd like to tell you I had all that in my mind, the whole process of it. I just felt led to do it in that procedure that way. Never had before, never did after. And it took a little time because this happened to be the staff member that was causing the problem. He had run off the previous pastor. Had I found that out before I went there, I would never have gone. But I spent 14 years there. And God blessed. And what I want you to understand is, even when we do some things that we're not quite sure why we do them, if you'll follow God, He will protect you and take care of you. Now, it took me two years to get through that rough spot. But when we did, and you see, the people needed somebody to love them just like I needed somebody to love me. So bailing wasn't an issue. And when we got through that, God then began to grow the church. We have got to understand that He's with us, and there will be times that things will come that will be difficult, times that it will be hard to get through, but you can get through it. Nothing comes our way that has not been filtered through the loving hands of a loving God. I don't care what it is. It may be sickness. Listen, there's been twice in my life I've sat and watched my wife, I thought, dying. She's still very much alive a little while ago when she texted me. She lost 10 pints of blood in two and a half days, bleeding internally. We were in a strange city in a strange hospital. But it happened to be a hospital we had rushed her to, to the ER that specialized in this problem. We didn't know that. I was down in the cafeteria one day, walked through the lobby, and there was a big banner. They had been awarded for this type thing. I couldn't pronounce the name of what they called it. Last year before last now, she came down with C. diff, that bacterial infection, like to kill her. Doctors couldn't see her for three or four months. She wasn't going to live three or four months. I didn't think. I wrote letters. I sent emails to all the doctors that were specialists in that. And I just told them, I said, I realize you're busy. I realize you're booked up. And I realize she's got an appointment with one of you. There are six of you. But she's not going to be alive at that appointment at the rate she's going. She can't eat. She can't keep anything. And one of the nurses, of an older, the oldest doctor in the practice, read it, took it to him. He didn't take new patients. But he saw her the next day. You see, God has a way. He will do what you can and what I can't. There's a devil out there that wants to stop you. 
and he will do everything he can. But you can't. The God we serve is more powerful than the devil. And we fight from victory, as someone said to me one time. One other thing I want to share with you. And, and you know, he said in verse 10, I have much people in this city. You want to know why you can't quit? Because there's somebody else that needs to hear the gospel. There's somebody else that needs you to preach another sermon. There's somebody else that needs that. You can say, well, I don't know who that'd be. You know, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way to anybody that's a student here. But I quit a long time ago. I've been here a while. And I quit a long time ago trying to figure out the students God's going to really use and the ones he's not. We used to, as a faculty, sometimes we'd bring up somebody, yeah, God's really, do you know the, the guys that God uses are those guys, I don't think we've ever picked many of you. You know, that God used in a tremendous way. He's used all of you in a tremendous way. Let me tell you something. It is the guy that humbles himself before God, applies himself, works hard, studies hard, obeys God, and follows God regardless of what happens. You might not have the most talent. You might not be the greatest personality. You might be an introvert instead of an extrovert. You're looking at one. You might be somebody just soon be by himself as being a crowd. But God can use you if you'll just give yourself over to him and just let God's will be done in your life. And God does do that and God will do that. Just realize there's another person out there. And it may be that person that you're trying to win now. You think, I'm never going to reach that person that becomes the next leader in your church. It may be that single mom that's trying to raise that child by herself that needs somebody to care about them or those that are in a nursing home that needs somebody to go by and share the gospel with them. Everybody in a nursing home is not going to heaven because everybody there is not saved. Or that person going by that soup kitchen or that meal, you think, well, you know, we have a mentality of a picture of people like that. I pastored a church over in Easley, and we had a ministry to the homeless up in Greenville. And we would go on Saturdays a lot of days, and at least once a month, I would go with them, and we would sit and we would feed them, first of all, take clothes to them, coats primarily. But I was sitting there one day on a, on a block talking to this guy, and he took a ring off and showed it to me, Harvard graduate. He said, now, I know you think I may have stole that. Look on the inside. He pulled out his driving license. He said, here's my driving license. Here's my name. That's my ring. He said, I used to drive new BMWs every, every year. He said, I didn't, didn't drive one two years. I wanted a new one. I could afford it. I had a nice home and a nice family. And he said, that one drink led to more drinks. And those pills to let me sleep. And then those pills to keep me awake along with the alcohol didn't mix very well. And he said, here I am. I don't have a family. I don't get to see my kids. And if it wasn't for people like you, I wouldn't have any food to eat. And I looked at him and I said, have you ever met Jesus? He said, you all keep talking about him. Why don't you tell me a little more about it? He never did come to accept Christ. And I realized that may not be the typical homeless person out there but that's a lot of them. And my daddy was a World War II vet. 
who actually had PTSD, even though they never classified it as that. And there's a lot of guys that's come back from Vietnam, Korea, Afghanistan, and other places that are on the streets. It may be those folks that need to know somebody cares. And if you can reach one by not compromising the word and giving them the truth of Almighty God, it will be well worth your time, your effort, and anything you go through. Yeah, I know you're tired. You're going to get more so. Preachers are weary. The singers are tired. The church family is worn out. And the church, as we know it, may be losing its fire. Some are discouraged from bearing the load. But we must be determined to keep pressing on. Because if one more soul comes to Jesus, one more soul walks down that aisle, it'll be worth every struggle. It'll be worth every mile. And if that one more soul is your family member, it's for sure it's worth it. But if you win my family member, I want you to understand it's worth it too. Let us pray. Father, I know serving you today can be difficult. But I just want to thank you. You've always walked with me and you will with each of these. You've never forsaken me. You've gone through the valley. You're on top of the mountains. Everywhere we go, there you are. And you have a job for us to do. And you have blessed us so much by calling us to be people that take the gospel to the world. We can't quit. When I think about quitting, Father, I cannot help but think about Jesus. He had to get tired of the beatings. He had to get tired of bleeding. And certainly he got tired of carrying that cross. And why in the world he would hang there for me, I don't know. But yet I do it. Because you loved us so much. There's no way to repay you. But we can be faithful. Not within ourselves, but because you live within us. Help us to live determined that as long as there's breath and as long as we're able to never quit on you. Give that determination to each one here today, I pray in Jesus' name.